Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist to Equip the Church to be Hearers and Doers of the Word. My name is Tim, and I am the lead pastor at Memorial Baptist Church, Stratford, Ontario. And my name is Marshall. I'm the associate pastor at NBC. I'm Alex, the corporate ministry director at NBC. All right, and here we are with uh, part two of music, talking about... Uh, today, talking about how it is that we choose the songs that we're going to sing in worship. Uh, this, is a, this is a big subject. I feel like all of this could be broken down into uh, multiple episodes. Uh, but then again, I, I think that that's probably just an us thing. Uh, and maybe <laughs> if there are any other pastors or worship pastors out there listening, they would find it uh, interesting to that level. After that, uh, I think most people are just sort of into a general kind of idea, so that's where we're going to go with it. I mean, five of those books behind my head there are literally on this subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and I've got stacks of them. Actually, a couple here on my desk, but uh, in my office as well. Yeah, so, uh, so let's talk about what goes into choosing a song. And, and we're not talking about necessarily like how the message goes with the sermon and all that kind of stuff. That's what we talked about last time. So if that's what you're curious about, that's in in the part one. Uh, But today we're going to talk about whether or not a song is going to make it into our rotation at all. Um, Because there are a lot of times people will bring songs and they'll say, oh, I I really love this song. Can we do this song? Um, Sometimes uh, it happens. It works out and it's, uh, it's a great addition. Sometimes it's not. And so here's how that choice is made right? Uh, The music has something to do with it, right? Uh, So when we we talk about the music, there are a couple of aspects we want to keep in mind. Uh, The first one is what we're going to call congregational singability. Mm. Congregational singability, which is just our way of saying, can people sing this song? Like, is it physically possible (laughs) for the average (laughs) church member to sing this song? Yeah. Uh, a couple of things that go into that, right? In uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In in worship leader circles and in like Facebook groups that I'm a part of, and like you know people who do a lot of this, the congregational uh, singability using these words like you know congregational songs, um, it is and it isn't a helpful term. Um, it's useful in that it lets us be conscious of. You know, not everyone is a strong vocalist or even likes to sing at all. So when we pick songs, they should probably be easy to sing. Mm. But I think that's where that term needs to stop. You can't really draw it out farther than that. Because we sing lots of hymns and choruses that have been around for a long time that would not be considered. If they came across my desk as a new song, um, you know, other than maybe their theological weight, they would be way too difficult to sing. Mm. I would probably pass them over simply just because it's way too high and then way too low and none of our gentlemen in the room will ever follow it. <laughs> no, I agree. This is not a new, this is not a new problem, right? Um, there are, there are lots of hymns. I think it was like a this. less yeah. of a problem when those hymns were being written because I think people, particularly in the church, but just in general, sang more, right? Like, like even we know that even a couple generations ago, you would get multiple harmonies coming from within the congregation 
And that happens less and less because I don't think people sing as much. So I think that like if I think the sing the average singing ability of your average person today is not what it was 100, 200, 300 years ago. So I think that's part of the reason um, some of those hymns are so hard. I think you just had a you know a, a whole culture that was much more used to singing these great big songs with these crazy melodies that went up and down and all over the place. Yeah, it, it seems to me that songing this songing singing was taught. Mm. Uh, into generations past and our generations have sort of bought into this idea that either you can or you can't right um and so we don't have like things like choir or uh specific classes that are electives for those people who already believe that they have sort of this natural ability to sing and want to refine that it's not a general course for everyone to come together in public school and learn how to sing uh, we don't have choirs in churches right where we're instructing singing in, the, in that same kind of way uh, so there's there's probably really something to that um, and 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 yeah so it happens with with older hymns mm -hmm. uh, and it happens it happens with new songs right sure. so like the older hymn a lot of it has to do with sort of like the the melody line going up and down all the time, back-to-back uh, -back notes that can go really low and then really high, uh, that are just a difficult thing to do. Uh, I, I would say in in modern uh, in modern worship, it's less necessarily about the key that it's in and more about the dynamic of sure. it, right? Like these big power songs mm -hmm. uh, that have these big octave jumps or they they jump a key. Uh, you know, from like a, a, a D to an E uh, kind of a jump that, that not everyone is going to be able to follow. Mm -hmm. um, why, do you, why do you think modern worship songs are getting into this unsingable range of dynamic? I think the, a lot, not all, but I think a lot of um, contemporary worship music is written from a performance um, angle right so the songs are being written to showcase the vocal abilities of the person singing the song more than perhaps it like is this something that a lot of people are going to be able to join in on and then that's not that's not saying everything not saying every song is completely on that end of the spectrum yeah but i think that's that's becoming common right is like mm -hmm. they're writing songs for a for a carry job for a right. Phil Wickham who have these unbelievable vocal abilities. And when we listen to that, we're, that moves us. Right. right. Um, but uh, yeah, but, but again, it's, that doesn't always translate well to, you know, someone like us leading a worship service who, you know, we can hold a tune, but we're not Phil Wickham. Right. right. Um, that, so mm -hmm. they don't always translate well to being used uh, in, in the context of a regular church service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you know, I some of those songs even depend on that dynamic jump, and if it's not yeah. there, the song just falls on its face, yeah, right? It's it ends up being it ends up being flat. Uh, it just doesn't work if it doesn't have that dynamic punch. And I would say sometimes the dynamic punch isn't like you mentioned the whole like Carrie Job thing. I, I don't know how many times I've had people come and say we should really do this song, and I just want to say, do you know why you love that song? Mm -hmm. You love that song because you love what she's able to do. And like you said, that moves us. Uh, but it's also about a band, 
right? A band uh, that is full and on a stage and mixed through a serious speaker system that is going to be able to pull off these huge professional quality dynamic mm-hmm. dynamic shifts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and without yeah. those, the song can run flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really noticed this yesterday. Uh, I, I went for a bit of a drive and I listened through Elevation's Grave in the Garden album. Um, nine of 10 songs on that album are like anthems. Like they're huge. Like, you know, they have probably 80 tracks playing in the background of strings and pads and harmony vocals on top of the live band that's playing and it was recorded probably a year ago so there's a crowd in the in the building mm-hmm. and and it's just a, such this huge sound but when you like stop and think about it musically it's actually kind of slow lyrics and without you know all of these huge layers of instruments mm-hmm. it would probably be actually quite thin mm-hmm. and yeah and it kind of drags along a little bit but because there's these huge drums you know hitting as hard as they can and these huge cymbal crashes um, it feels like it drives a lot more. But if we were to do the same thing in our church, it would feel way different because we're not in that kind of anthem setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I would say I would say it's there are some there are some churches I know that are uh, in order to make up this gap are playing the music through the house speakers and setting up the band in uh, in their in ears. And then the band is essentially just playing along with a track so they can get that depth. Mm. I'm, I'm just not with that. Uh, to me, to me, it feels a little bit, uh, a little bit hokey. I, I think when you look at a stage with, you know, four or five musicians, but you can hear um, 50 to me, that's, that's such a distraction. <laughs> and maybe that's, maybe that's a me thing. Maybe that's me spending too much time, like following bands and all that kind of stuff uh, where most people wouldn't even care. Uh, but it, it, I don't know. I'm just, we should I'm do that with our, with, it. with our preaching, Tim. Like just have a John Piper sermon just coming through the speakers and us just do our best to like lip sync it kind of. And like, like a hype add, man. add the odd comment here and there. Yeah. No, I, I'm just kidding. But you know, this all, this all reminds me of a really, um, really great conversation I had with one of our congregants and I'll call, I'll uh, give her a shout out. Melissa Kreerar we were having a discussion about worship music and this was at a time when I was kind of an interim worship leader. We were kind of in between before you guys were attending Memorial and she just helped me kind of understand the distinction that there are some songs that are really good for personal worship. These songs that, you know, that are, that have this crazy dynamic and they're uplifting and they're moving and they, they, they cause us to worship but that doesn't mean they necessarily translate well to a Sunday morning. And so there's mm-hmm. a personal worship and there's a congregational worship. And there's some songs that are appropriate for both, uh, but there's some songs that just don't translate well to the, to the corporate setting. And I think mm-hmm. that's, yeah, doesn't mean they're not good, just not good for that. Yeah. And every corporate setting is going to be different. Mm. Right. Yep. Talk this about is that. where we, this is where we transition into the, the culture. Mm-hmm. of your church matters yeah um so so like for when, when we say culture of your church th- there's this um there's this idea that if you want to grow a church that what you need to do is you need to just go more modern mm. but there are, there are lots of churches there's this great book called comeback churches that's about uh revitalization efforts inside of churches and and what really made the difference for them and 
and statistically proven that that some of the churches just went, they put away the praise bands, went back to hymns and saw growth. The point wasn't that putting away the worship band is what your church needs to grow. The point is you got to listen to your congregation and your culture and figure out who your people are. And if you're a congregation of people whose personal style of worship is A, and you go hard after B because you think it's going to cause people who aren't there to come, then you're actually going to lose the people you have. Right. Or, or you're going to put so many obstacles in front of the people that you do have that they're not going to pull off this style B worship. And when people come, it's going to show, right? It's going to look like you're putting on an act for other people or you're trying to do this thing that you're just not pulling off. And what happens is it just frustrates the worship. Mm. Uh, so, so who you are as a culture also matters in, in how you choose a song. Uh, and that's why we want to make sure that we're choosing songs that represent uh, the heart and even the feel, the tone, the personality of our mm. congregation, right? Mm. Yeah, the culture of a church is, is such a delicate balance of musical style and um, even sometimes for some churches, the general speed of songs. You know, mm -hmm. some churches are really into slow kind of, um, you know, often the term for these churches is soaking worship. Mm. Um, this, this kind of idea that you're immersed in the music um, in kind of a meditative way. Um, some churches, you know, I have, you know, friends who play every weekend with their distortion pedals in a series all turned on because it's a rock and roll place. Um, so it's not necessarily even the musical style, but even the speed and the, the volume, um, all of these things contribute to what makes a church's musical culture. And my job as, as someone in charge of this is to find out that that balance where we're pushing the envelope just enough to keep things fresh and keep people reminded of the words that we're singing and to not necessarily follow the culture but continue to evolve and never get stuck and also meet the needs of the people who are just trying to worship in honesty and not getting in the way with things that they're not into and making sure that they're able to come on sunday morning and and worship in truth and and not feel like they're doing something they don't belong in yeah yeah i think we have to we have to remember like what is it what is it, like why are we singing like what's the purpose like what's the purpose of it right and and although you know the the singing is related to the church culture and should inform to some degree what we're choosing to do or not do or how we do things to some degree again the end goal is just directing people's hearts to god Right. And doing that in an emotive and immersive and compelling and edifying way. Right. right. So like if we're doing that, then we're, then we're okay. You know what I mean? Like if we're doing that and, and taking into consideration, you know, who our people are and what's going to help them like divert their attention away from the things of this world onto the things from above then then we're doing it right because that's what the goal is so that's going to mean different things in different contexts with different groups um but like you can be a hymns only church and be doing it right or doing it wrong and you can be sure. a contemporary style and doing it right or doing it wrong um based on what's the like is your goal the right goal and are you mm -hmm. doing it out of like love and, and knowledge of who your people are right yeah and i think that's a, a great point because i think 
I think a lot of what what I was saying, at least, uh, I, I was sort of assuming that wrongly assuming that right that the goal is to point people to jesus and not to point people to the music and when we get to a place where uh our, our you know the singability and the the culture and the style of the music are pointing people uh people's attention elsewhere right whether it's about now praise for the song leader mm. and not for the subject of the song or if it's just a distraction right because sometimes it's not wow, that was amazing. Sometimes it's people just standing around going, that guy's up there doing something. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm a little bit confused and we're just kind of hanging out here. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can end up being a, a huge distraction. So, so all of this is not about creating something mm. so much as it is about, uh, I, I guess we are creating something. We're creating an environment that's not a distraction mm -hmm. where people can be led in such a way that uh, they're not going to be distracted. And, and again, um, different, different churches just sort of have a different feel for what that is. Mm -hmm. um, and so we want to we be feeling that uh, out for our church and having a, a pretty good idea, not of who we're trying to become, because that would be creating a consumeristic uh, place at our church that would be focusing our worship uh, in music on the people um, mm -hmm. and what people are looking for. You know, I, that's, that's one thing I hear a lot of people talk about that just kind of bothers me is, you know, well, you got to give people the music they're looking for. Um, uh, yeah. Yes and no. Right. Like, and um, why are they looking for it? Like, I think that's the question you have to ask. Like, why are they looking for it? Because if they're wanting hymns because they're like, look, there's some just theologically rich stuff and we need to get, we need to be proclaiming that truth. And that's a good motivation for mm -hmm. wanting hymns. But if it's just nostalgia, if it's just to get a little taste of the good old days, then that's not a good motivation. Right. Yeah. Like, like, so or on the flip side, if it's just, on the flip side, yeah. if it's just because it's cool, Mm -hmm. and it sounds great um then that's also not a good motivation yeah right the the the, the, the music is the vehicle that carries our worship mm -hmm. and so when i say when i say yes and no i i guess the yes side of that would be that people say this is this is as a part of the corporate it's also my offering mm -hmm. to god and um and my opportunity to hear from god mm -hmm. and this is sort of where that channel is for me uh, in a way that's less distracting. And so we just want to, yeah, yeah. We want to be careful not to, not to just be listening to people to the point of where we're providing them opportunity to participate in entertainment of the self, um, but providing people an environment where they feel uh, encouraged and, and given opportunity to yeah. offer up praise to God and edification to the church around them. Yeah. We're so, we live, and, and I don't want to belabor this subject too much, but like we live in a, a culture where we get custom made everything for us. Like everything is custom made. Like, like you think of how social media works, right? They give us what we want, right? Like we get, we get the, the posts that we want. We get the news that we want. We go, to, we go to restaurants more than anyone ever did in the past, right? And we get specifically what we want. We get our custom made order at Starbucks and, and everything is just like, crafted just for us as an individual and we have to be careful that we don't bring that expectation with us into the church because it's mm -hmm. not about our individual tastes it's about 
it's about the worship of God and, 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 you know, and in that also it's about the corporate group, right? So there's, there's a degree to which we, we have to be able to kind of set aside this, this expectation for, you know, tailor-made worship just for me. Because it's just that's an impossibility in a group of you know in any size group let alone a group of hundreds right yeah yeah so let's move on now to the message because this is this is the big one we want to make sure that we uh we we save time for this because this is the biggest part of the discussion there are three things that we're going to talk about when we talk about the message is it clear is it sound and what's its source uh, so let's talk about clarity of message. So generally songs that we pick, um, whether they be old and we brought them back or they be new, um, need to be explicit in the lesson or the, the concept that we, they bring. Um, this is something that, uh, a lot of bands in the mid two thousands, there was this really big push uh, out of the nineties, the success of Christian music to have Christian music that was palatable and good and followed the culture um, and bring that into church. And, and I've been told a story of, of playing songs uh, like uh, Jesus Freak in church by DC Talk. Mm -hmm. um, it is explicit, but it also is so, um, there's so much to it that you're not going to get the clarity of what that explicit message is. Mm -hmm. And, and just because it's a Christian song doesn't necessarily mean that it has a clear message for corporate worship. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I would also say probably not congregational singability. Yeah. Or amongst other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, to be fair with you, and I know this is going to step on toes. Uh, um, I kind of expect an email for this one. <clears throat> This is why I don't like Days of Elijah. <laughs> I'm writing an email right now. Is that a is that a is that a hot take uh, uh, sort of thing? Yeah, it might I don't have been get a hot... it. I don't get it. I I challenge anyone to tell me what the song's about and mm -hmm. uh, and and why it's necessary for corporate worship. Yeah. Um, I think people like the the melody of it. It's mm -hmm. a it's a fun tune. I don't think it belongs in a church service. Uh, just because let's talk I, about I don't the get days it. of Elijah, right? Say like, what? Let's talk about the days of Elijah. What was, what was, what was going on in the days? Like he had, yeah, he had the vision of the dry bones becoming flesh of something that was going to happen, but not in the days of Elijah in the days of Elijah. Almost everyone fell into extreme idolatry and there was famine and drought because of it. Like, and, and to the point where Elijah felt like, is there anyone at all faithful to God? Like that was the circumstances in the days of Elijah. And so I just, it, like, do we want it to be like, maybe, maybe these are the days of Elijah, right? Like maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think some would say, well, in that they don't mean the days that Elijah lived. They mean the days that Elijah prophesied. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Because it does say the dry bones coming as flesh. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just think, I just think there's, it, it, I, I just don't feel like we sing that song going yes and amen. Right. Right. Um, there's, there's too much going on in it. It's sort of like this hidden thing. Uh, I've, I've searched out the song, like reading things that the author of the song has written about the song, because a lot of people ask the question, what's this song about? 
Um, most generally his statement is kind of like, this is basically what it's about. It kind of came to me. Um, and, uh, and, and I, to me personally, I, I think that when we sing an edification to the church, mm. what we were talking about last week with the horizontal worship, the people around me need to know well what it is I'm trying to encourage them with. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I'm singing a prayer or leading people in worship to sing what is a vertical song, a prayer to God, mm-hmm. uh, but to melody, then I need to know what it is very clearly that I'm stating. Um, and, and so I, I feel like that's just a, an example of a song that's kind of here and there and, and it pops up a lot and it's, it's a fun kind of camp tune a youth group kind of camp tune, yeah. but, uh, but I don't know about as a corporate worship song. Can I, can I give my, can I throw my own song into the mix? That'll get me an email. Cause I, I, this is my, this is my favorite song to hate. And, uh, and some people might not like this, but one hymn that I will never lead, like I won't do it. Like, even if like, I just won't, I refuse is mansion over the hilltop mansion over the hilltop is one of the worst of the favorite hymns. And, and here's why. Within the hymn, there's, there's really nothing about the glory of God at all. And what it is, is it's essentially just saying, hey, God, I'm cool with not being super rich right now because I'm going to get loads of stuff when I get to heaven. And I'm going to get <laughs> a harp and a crown and a, and a mansion over the hilltop. And like it, it's so very like just it's like heaven is all about me getting the things that I really want now, all the earthly riches that I really want now, but I have to just like wait. So look at how much I love you, God, because I'm satisfied with just a cottage below and a little silver and gold. Right. And it's like, Oh, anyways. So I yeah. just throw that into the mix to say, like, it's very easy to, to beat up on a lot of the new stuff and a lot of the new stuff deserves uh, be, being disregarded. Uh, but there's some old tunes that are that are not great either. Yeah, and and I would say um, that kind of moves us from the clarity of the message to the soundness of the message, right? Sure. Is it a sound message? Uh, this is a lot of the the false ideal that we put onto heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, this this false ideal it kind of runs like this: God didn't call me necessarily to put my idols to destruction. Mm-hmm. He called me to delay the gratification of my idols into the next life. Put them on layaway. Right. <laughs> right. I, I'm still going to I'm still going to get the idols of this life that I long for. Yeah. But it's about delayed gratification and not finding gratification in Christ. Right. It, it comes from the the treasure stored up in heaven. Um, but if you actually read where that comes from, it's not talking about physical things. Right, and there's the verse right. about many mansions, but it just means like in he- like in God's place, there is room for many to dwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Not many dwellings is the better. Everybody gets a ten thousand square foot house with eight bathrooms and you know a fountain. Like, come on. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's even in the text itself. In my Father's house, yeah, singular. <laughs> there are many units. Yeah, that's really what it means. Yeah, it, it's a whole it's a whole thing about the Latin translation of the Vulgate and how that made its way into the King James and, and all of that kind of stuff. But the best way to say it is there are dwellings inside of my father's house. So think more apartment complex Condos. than, than, <laughs> than everyone having their own estate. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, uh, anyways, okay, sorry. I had to get that off my chest. But. So no, no, I mean, those, <laughs> those things exist. And, and those are reasons we would pull a song. We mm-hmm. would say, you know what? It's not going to make it in. Uh, and, and there are times when we really wrestle with some songs, uh, songs that we love. And, and sometimes it comes down to maybe just one line. And we have to, we have to really wrestle with that because our goal in this, our goal in this is that we want to be leading the church in songs that they will sing together on Sunday morning in worship that will make their way into that sort of mental space where they're singing them throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they are broken and troubled or when they are uh, in a place where they just want to praise God, this is what's coming to mind because this is what we have been practicing. And these are the truths that we've been singing. So, so this really matters. And sometimes even one line can be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so some examples, some modern examples of things that we really wrestle with. Uh, we're not always in agreement on these. Uh, sometimes it comes down to an arm wrestling match, um, figuratively, not literally. Uh, so one example, song I really love, So Will I. Mm. It's a brand new song, mm-hmm. um, fantastic, talking about uh, all of the things that God will empower us to do in, in worshiping him as parts of his creation, seeing the rest of creation worship him and us worshiping him as well. But there's that one line, that one line that gets me. Uh, yeah, so will I 100 billion times on the, on the Wonder album from, uh, from Hillsong. Um, has a line that says uh, creation evolving in pursuit of what you said. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he uses that loaded word evolving, which is not necessarily uh, indicating the idea of evolution and creation. Um, and when the song first came out, it hit the scene and, and, you know, a lot of churches adopted it. It's a popular song song. So it kind of has like a by default um, acceptability because it comes from, this artist Mm -hmm. but um shortly after the song an interview with the author of the song came out what do you mean by evolving and and he admitted to an openness to assisted evolution Mm. um and and this one word this one line the song then all of a sudden put into question some of the amazing lines that he wrote in literally the next verse Mm. right um and this line of contention, uh, among a few other musical reasons, um, is the reason why we're not singing it in church. Yeah, I mean, the, the dynamic is, uh, is also a little bit unsingable. Um, but I'll be fair, I'll be honest with you, this song plays at the Elmore House all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we play it, we sing it all the time. Uh, and, uh, and the reason is, is because when I do it, I have options. Mm-hmm. I can change the words. Uh, I, can, I can flip that word out. Or I can just know what I mean when I'm saying this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but corporately, you know, I think you have to be more careful with that. Yeah, um, as someone responsible for bringing these words to the church, um, mm-hmm. I can't control what everyone's going to think when they sing that line. Mm-hmm. And and that leadership is on me and I need to make that decision whether to bring that to them. Um, and, and I don't feel comfortable singing that line when I don't personally feel like it's terribly clear and it's, 
you know, biblical sound nature. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it still plays in my house. I know what I mean when I sing it. And even the line in itself, all creation evolving in pursuit of what you said. You know, that's, that's kind of true. He said perfection and we're, you know, slowly degrading because of sin. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the, where we started. Um, it does have some beauty in it on its own. But the idea mm-hmm. that the author intended to mean assisted evolution um, just just gives it enough of a problem that I don't want to bring it to corporate worship as the leader in charge of bringing these things. How do we, how do we feel about, because I know how there's been, there's different responses. There's some people who say, whatever, we're just going to sing it anyways. There's some people who, who will say, respond and say, ah, I just can't get over that. But I, there is a third option, and I realize there's pros and cons. Maybe you can speak to it a bit more intelligently than I can, Alex. But like, what about the whole idea of like swapping out a word? So what if we said all creation unfolding in pursuit? Mm-hmm. What's, is there, is there, what's the danger there? Is there a danger there? Well, we have a great example of, of this exact conversation. Um, the song Reckless Love, mm-hmm. written by, by Corey Asbury, is a song that I really love. Um, both musically, it's really fun to play. It's got some great electric guitar lines, uh, as well as I really uh, appreciate the heart of the song. Um, but the idea of God being reckless um, is a is not entirely correct. Um, we're trying to wrap an infinite God of infinite, you know, understandability into a singular word, and that's never going to work, whether you know we pick the word reckless or not. Um, and a, an easy solution into that. It is Tim, I think you recommended saying restless instead. Yes, because that's what even in the song, that's what the whole song is about is this yeah. constant pursuit that God is on uh, and that his love never rests. But reckless sort of says, <clears throat> I, I don't know where this is going. I don't know how it's going to uh, to turn out in the end. I'm just going to go for it. And whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Uh, reckless is is only possible with limited and finite beings yeah Corey Corey asbury the guy who wrote the song he wrote this little post about like why he chose to to use that word and i thought okay he's gonna clear it up and it's gonna be better and it just made it worse (laughs) because he essentially (laughs) said that god is not the he 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 couched the the idea of recklessness the idea that like god is not concerned about his own well-being or or whatever like he kind of went like you know god is just like just totally unconcerned with with how this impacts and benefits him right which is like just blatantly untrue like god's yeah. primary mm-hmm. motivator is his own glory right yeah. so that's just not i'm like um, oh, dude <laughs> why did it only makes it should worse should have just left it ambiguous man and let us figure it out yeah you just made it worse and and i think it's ambiguous enough that um i i don't think that seeing the overwhelming reckless love of god mm. brings us so far away from how we understand God's love that it would be distracting in that moment or mm-hmm. make our worship disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would think the easy thing would just be to change the word. Um, this gets into some legal stuff that I don't fully understand, but I know enough that uh, when we license this music, um, we pay a fee to an organization called CCLI that uh, gathers all of you know most Christian music, puts it into a database to get me you know, music and things um, like sheet music and uh, you know, lyrics, and then gives us the ability to display those lyrics and then to play the songs that we didn't write. Mm. Um, and that license agreement is really long and deep and I have read it, but it's not terribly understandable. Um, 
But one of the things that's uh, part of that agreement is we can't make derivative works. We right. can't make something our own that we don't own. Right. We don't own these songs. Um, we just play them under the license given to us that we pay for, and they are still attributed to Corey Asbury or, uh, or Hillsong. Mm -hmm. um, if we change a word that makes it a derivative work, that makes it something that we've then made and we've taken 99.9% .9 of it from someone else. Right. right. Um, but you know, even, even that is, is really vague. Um, and, and I know, I mean, churches have been changing the words to songs for as long as there have been the churches singing songs. Yeah. Um, but I, I also know that, uh, there's so much vagueness because for instance, like we change the music sometimes, right? And we change the keys, we change a melody line from time to time. Uh, that's no different than changing a word. Uh, so to be fair on this one, Alex is more of the stickler and I'm more <laughs> of the who cares. <laughs> and, and in this agreement, it does specifically speak to music because we are playing a cover. So we're not going to do it the same as recorded. Mm -hmm. um, which is the terminology they use, same as recorded. Um, but the written, um, the written lyrics are specifically called out um, mm -hmm. in this agreement. Um, so I, churches have been changing words for centuries. And, and I would be um, upset to learn that one of these artists who wrote these God-glorifying words would sue a church. Mm -hmm. But we did agree to this license and we do pay for it and we do... I want to honor that agreement. Yeah. And I sing it on my own. I sing restless. Yeah. yeah. And, I and I think that's totally fine. And, and if it comes down to it, I would rather sometimes not play the song right. in front of yeah. a church than sing questionable lyrics. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But you know what? John Piper, John Piper did a whole podcast on this and asked pastor John specifically on this mm -hmm. song. Uh, and he said, this song sounds like Calvinism right up to that point of uh, reckless love. And, uh, and that's a little <laughs> bit peculiar. Um, but the weight of the song is so doctrinally sound. It, is. it actually um, is, yeah. And, and so beautiful in that, that we will continue to sing the song because I think the weight of the song is better than that. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to a song like, like So Will I, it has some really amazing moments like, as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I, mm. right? It's just, it's it's just so, so great, so great. Um, so in that, what I overlook that one word of evolution I, I would still fight to change it, but again, as, there's also an issue that comes with it that is just the dynamic of it. Yeah, uh, musically, it it's quite difficult. It is an arena anthem, and it does need that. Mm -hmm. uh, it needs that singer that's going to jump octaves um, to pull it off, and and so it's got a couple of strikes against it. And that's why it'll probably it'll end up on the church's YouTube playlist, but it won't end up on the church's uh, Sunday morning roll. Right, and and we might set, play it on a Sunday evening. Um, you know, before we closed everything down, uh, we were doing Sunday evening worship nights that that's an appropriate venue for that song. Um, mm -hmm. You know, playing it at, at an event um, where maybe not as many people are following along, but are there to take in the words of the lyrics. 
-hmm. I think that's a great venue for that, but maybe not Sunday morning where we're leading in corporate worship. Yeah. Now really quickly, cause we need, we need to wrap this episode up. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we, we need to talk about because it is, it is being talked about all the time um, is the source of the song, right? We've, we've touched on this a little bit. Uh, there are two groups that are producing the majority, I think it's fair to say, of the worship that is, is coming out and, and really making waves, mm -hmm. right? And it's been that way for a very long time. Uh, Hillsong out of Australia and Bethel out of California um, have been sort of leading the way for uh, over a decade now, I would oh, say. Yeah. Oh yeah, <clears throat> for both of for both of them, uh, because Jesus Culture uh, came out of Bethel and right. uh, and led the way before Bethel Music took over as their own thing. The problem is, both of these churches have some really shady doctrine, and so the question is, as we play songs from Bethel, uh, are we promoting their bad doctrine? even if it doesn't appear in the song. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tricky, I mean, that's a tricky question because as Alex already uh, explained, we subscribe to this uh, CCLI, the Christian copyright organization that, that we pay for. And, and through that um, subscription monies go to the artists of the songs that we use. So when we use Bethel and Hillsong, there, there is some, you know, relatively small amount of money uh, that goes into their hands. And, you know, and these are organizations, these are churches that are, that are teaching things that we definitely, one more than the other, um, mm -hmm. but, that yeah, we would, but, but, but that we would definitely not stand by. Um, and we're not even talking about like stylistic differences. We're not even just talking about differences on views of like gifts of the spirit. We're talking about like, like big deals, like mm -hmm. big issues. stuff that would be called heresy, right? Stuff about the person of Jesus, right? Like, so that's, that's big. That's not nothing. So what do we do? Right. And, and that's, it's tough, right? Because they write some great songs, right? Like, and that, that, that whack theology doesn't show up in the vast majority of what they write. Um, most of it's pretty solid. Um, so I, yeah, that's, that's something that people are very divided on. It's something uh, mm -hmm. that came to a head that I, I don't know if I call it a viral video, but a video went around of a pastor at a conference um, somewhere a few months ago, just explaining how their church gave up in almost all um, popular music because it came from a church or an artist associated with those teachings that they don't agree with as a church. I don't know what denomination he was from. I don't know what church he was from, but he just stated that they gave it all up mm -hmm. and that they're going back to mostly hymns because that's what's available. Um, and that started a conversation about, you know, if we don't agree with their theology, even if it's not in that specific song, do we give up all of their music? Mm -hmm. It's something that uh, I personally really struggle with. Um, I don't agree with what these churches teach, but when I hear that verse that Tim read from So Will I, you know, even, even within the span of five lines makes the transition from uh, you left the grave behind you, so will I. And because of that, I will then surrender my life. Um, 
that's just so beautiful and just so, so amazing. I, it's hard to throw that away. Um, we have a song that, that is just a perfect example of this. And, and it's, it is well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marshall, you know the story better than I do. Yeah, so, so It Is Well was written by Horatio Spafford. And so what a lot of people know about him is that the tragedy of the, the ship that sank and his children died, right. right, as they were crossing the Atlantic. And we know that about him. What a lot of people don't know is that his theology was, again, like there were things that we would disagree with that go far beyond just like, oh, they do it that way, we do it this way. Like he was a universalist, which essentially means that, you know, you know, after enough time, all people are going to be reconciled to God and there's no real eternal punishment. And he kind of viewed like hell as just like almost like purgatory. And like even even Satan would eventually be reconciled to God through that process. And that's just something that's completely just not in line with uh, what the scriptures teach. And it's a pretty big, I mean, it's a pretty big thing, right? Uh, but yeah, it is well. I mean, are we not going to sing it as well, right? Or even, you know, we could say that there were some things that, uh, the Wesley's, right? He believed in yeah. Christian perfection. He believed that you could attain sinlessness in the Christian life. That well, no, you can't. That's impossible. But we still sing the stuff that was written by him and his brother, right? So, like, if we if we apply this kind of, we will not sing anything by those who have doctrinal error. We got to start cutting through our hymn books, even, right? And so, I yeah. think that's why it's dangerous to take that line of thinking too far. Yeah, and, and I would say ultimately all of this, uh, like this is, <clears throat> this is ultimately then the burden of, of the lead pastor, right? Uh, and so the, here's, here's my take on why I don't drop that X. Uh, it has less to do with it's a lot of work to figure out what everyone believed and find all that kind of stuff. Um, although I agree that that would be a mountain of work. Oh, yeah. Um, this is this is basically what's called secondary separation, right? Like, it's not just separating from the thing; it's separating from the thing because it's connected to another thing, mm-hmm. right? Would we would we axe a song based off of that? I, I'm going to give a, a vague kind of yes and no. The yes side of it is this: based on where it comes from, I am admittedly going to be more critical. And there have been times even in the very recent, uh, the recent past that, w- that we have been sitting around the offices back when we were allowed. Do you remember, do you remember being in the office? Do you remember the offices? Those were the tall. Oh, those were good days. Uh, when we would be in, and we would be talking about a song that come out and I'd be like, nope, nope, nope. Don't like it. Don't want anything to do with it. Uh, and you guys would be like, really? I, I can't, I can't figure out why. And what I was doing is I was knowing where it came from and landing harder on it than I should have been. And then going back and sort of working through the lyrics going, okay, maybe that's in their hearts, but it's not in the song. Right. Right. So, so I will, yes, be more aggressive and, and more critical with the song that is uh, based on where it's coming from. I think that's reasonable. Um, but at the same time, I think it's our job to shepherd the church in such a way that we know what is truth and we're able to separate it from error 
And, and the strongest argument that, I can f that I've been able to find from those who would say, get rid of it all together, you have to separate from it. The strongest argument is that at the end of the song, there's the, the copyright notes that have the names of the people who uh, wrote the song. And that what's going to happen is that in your church service, everyone's going to write those names down and then they're going to Google them and start following them as teachers. Right. Um, I, I don't think that's happening, yeah. to be honest with you. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think people even read that. I don't even know if people see that. I think you see it the first time and then after that, you just stop seeing it. Um, and so I, I don't really think that that's a thing. I also noticed that, uh, and we've, we've talked about this before, some of those, those really questionable things that they believe, those, even the heretical things that are, are being taught, do not appear in the songs. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and so if a person goes out and buys a Hillsong album, I don't think they are embedding themselves with emergent doctrine uh, that, is, that is questionable. Right? I think they're getting some pretty sound stuff in the songs. Right. I don't think a lot of people migrate from the songs to the preaching. Yeah. I don't. I, I think that I think that when when Hillsong puts a new church in a new place, uh the label, the brand of Hillsong excites a lot of people and they go then. Um they're not planting in Stratford. That's our context. Right. Um <laughs> and, and so I don't I don't see that as a thing. Right. Um and so so yeah. And, it, and at the same time, when there's value in the song, I think we take it as a song mm. and not as, as its source. It, yeah. it would be different. Like, I understand the challenge that someone could bring. Someone would say, would you do the same with a speaker, right? Would you take a good teaching from Rob Bell and present that to your church? And I would say no. Um, but I think there's a difference between uh, and her, a heretical teacher teaching mm. and someone who is under a heretical teacher singing. And I understand that's all kinds of dicey. Um, <laughs> and, and this is, this is why it's a battle. This is why it's something that we wrestle with this. Like, to be fair, this is, this keeps us up at nights mm -hmm. from time to time. Right. Yeah. Um, and causes us to, to sometimes fall out of agreement sure. even uh, in conversation on these kinds of things, because, because they're difficult, difficult things to work through. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll continue not, to struggle. Not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Yeah. We, we will continue to strive to struggle with these things and not let songs just fly under the radar just because like that particularly me, but I always bring it through you guys because having these kinds of conversations is important. And, mm -hmm. you know, we don't just listen to music as a church. Mm -hmm. We sing the words to our Lord. Mm -hmm, right. Um it carries so much more weight than just listening at home in personal worship. That's why we separate the things yeah. is because when you're sitting at home and listening and enjoying music, that's different than the, those words coming out of your mouth to the Lord almighty. Mm -hmm. um, or, or us as the leaders of that service saying, we are going to pray this prayer to God together. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what, that's what a lot of these songs are. Um, and the way just, in, just in close, like, like the way our minds work too, we retain lyrics so much better than other right. things. Like, like I would almost guarantee that almost anyone listening to this podcast right now knows the lyrics to more worship songs and hymns 
then they have verses of the Bible memorized that they can quote chapter and verse, right? More full songs. They would have more full songs than single verses. And I don't say that as an indictment necessarily, although I think scripture memorization is something that I struggle with. And I think as a generation, we struggle with. Um, but that's because melody helps you remember things. Like that's why right. we teach little children's songs. So we want to, we want to make sure that the things that are being embedded in people's minds are good because that's mm-hmm. what they're going to remember. And that's going to, that's what they're going to sing when they're like, you know, when they're like, you know, James and Peter and they're shackled in prison, right? They're going to, you right. know, this or Paul and Barnabas or whatever, right? Like this, the songs are what stick in people's minds. That's why this is so important. Right. Yeah. And so uh, the, the real purpose behind this episode, the reason we wanted to do it was just to, uh, to let you look behind the curtain a little bit and realize that it's more than just songs I like, songs I don't like, old songs, new songs um something something with a little bit upbeat versus uh something you know slower nostalgic versus cutting edge those those aren't really the considerations there there are a lot of uh of deeper things that go into it that we're we wrestle with um and and we think it is good to wrestle with these things because they're not scripture when we when we bring scripture into a service we take it uh for all that it is um mm-hmm. with with no filter because it is inspired holy word of god these are works of man man is flawed uh the work is going to be to some degree flawed uh because of our hand on it and what we will do is we will continue to sift through and figure out what portion of this is redeemable what portion of it needs to be put aside and we'll do our best to be faithful to god and to the church in that effort Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. It's produced by Alex Walker. Till next time. Take care, everybody. Bye.